Hey, I'm Tim Malloy, and welcome to Movie Maker. Today, I'm talking with one of my favorite filmmakers, Deborah Granick, and Cas Marte, the founder and CEO of Conbody, and the focus of Granick's new docu series, Conbody versus Everybody, debuting this week at the Sundance Film Festival. In a few years, Cas Marte has gone from prison to running a thriving business starring in a film at one of the world's most prestigious film festivals, and best of all, welcoming with his wife a brand new newborn. In fact, he did this interview from the maternity ward. You'll hear my surprise and excitement when that is revealed in the interview. <laughs> Huge congratulations to him and his family. Marte grew up on Manhattan's Lower East Side at a time when drugs and used needles were everywhere, and despite living in poverty, he did very well in school, he always had an entrepreneurial mindset, and before long, he ran a booming business dealing cocaine and cannabis to white-collar clientele. But then he was busted and found himself in prison in solitary confinement. Determined there to rebuild his life, he designed a workout program that anybody could do using only their body weight, even in confined spaces. And when he got out of prison, he started building up Con Body, which was a long struggle. That's when he met Granick the Oscar-nominated director of Winter's Bone, the breakthrough film for Jennifer Lawrence, and the director of Leave No Trace, the breakthrough for Thomas and McKenzie. Granick was doing research for a narrative feature about an ex-con, and someone suggested she talk with Koss. Con Body versus Everybody is about a huge problem, how people released from prison can not just stay out of prison, but also positively contribute to the world. A lot of people think things like that don't really happen and that people don't really change, but Koss's story is proof that they do. And he's not the only one who's changed, as he's about to explain. Con body versus everybody shows us. Nothing is hopeless, and your disadvantages, even something like a prison record, can be turned into advantages. The six-part series is up for sale at Sundance, meaning it's looking for a distributor, like a streamer or a network who can bring it to the world. And I hope you get to see it soon, because it is fascinating, and I know we're all suspicious of this word, but it's true, inspiring. Granick and Marte and I talk about the good and bad sides of capitalism, the insanity of a for-profit prison industry, and why prisoners get in such good shape behind bars. Here we go. I'm a huge fan of the film Leave No Trace, which I think is one of the only films I've ever seen that has no bad guy, at least in my interpretation of it. Everybody means well. Um, some bad things happen, but everyone means well. Do you think this is the same type of film? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> whoa, starting like, <laughs> um, okay, let me let me think. Um, so what would be so challenging about this film and cost chime in anytime, every time you have an impulse is the re-interrogating what is a bad guy, mm -hmm. right? Bad guy, good guy is binary. Mm -hmm. And I, when I think Koss and his team are willing to engage us in the most rigorous discussion, it's like biblical. There is no, there's usually no binary right. <laughs> bad versus good. We all got some of all of it, right? And enduring different times in our lives, different impulses. First of all, it's interesting because criminality isn't, necessarily bad right there are infractions and rules that get busted poverty is usually bad <laughs> you know? but there's no villain 
for poverty, right? Like, who do you blame that we have this level of economic inequality and that certain sectors of our citizenry get cut off from the goods and services that can make life work, right? So, like, so it's interesting. Is the bad guy capitalism? In, in, you know, you know. I, like, I you say, know. I say, the bad guy is the system. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, the the system that grew up and calcified to make um, working with rule infractions and breaking laws an industry, a profit making industry. Yeah. So, if you want to say there's a there could be a, there's some bad elements in this film for sure. The the man that all approved, but even in our earliest years of our country, right? That you know that. Um, but really, in the last century, the movement towards industrializing and profiteering from systems of punishment, you know, no, 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 nobody would ever argue that you don't need systems of, of rules and, regu- you know, but how it's done, the scale it's done, if it unequally targets sectors of the, po- you know, all of that. I agree with costs. The system of that that system is a dark and sort of you, you could call it a monstrous system. It, it grew out of control. It's very self-expanding and self-regulating. And the rest of us have had to um, figure out how to get out from its claws. It's an, it's kind of a weird Abby yo-yo, you know. I mean, there are some drugs that you sell and you become a huge success and get to put your name on museums and you're in the Forbes 500. And then there's other drugs that you sell and you go to prison, um, which I'd love to take the cost and ask just for background for people who haven't seen the film yet. How did you find yourself incarcerated? How did you find yourself in solitary? And what did you do there that turned your life around? Uh, so I, I was incarcerated for uh, selling drugs. Um, I got I got caught with a kilo and a half of cocaine and five pounds of, of cannabis um, in 2009 or early 2009. Um, and then I, before that, I was incarcerated probably nine, nine or ten times around there uh, for different offenses or drugs, you know, cannabis and 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 selling um and i ended up there uh in the system and i felt like it was a it was a trap and 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 why why i say like the system is the bad guy um is because if you grow up in a certain area area certain neighborhood that's you know over policed you know uh, i i don't know where you grew up but there's people that grew up in like middle of America that smoked a joint when they were 13, 14 years old, and they might've got stopped by a cop and they got a, you know, a little slap on the wrist, you know, and nothing happened to them. But for me, that, that was the start of uh, a spiral in the system and a journey of probation, incarceration and, and 17 years in and out of the system um, was, was a trap, you know, that, you know, I had to make this decision that I was not going to, do anything wrong anymore or even cross that line, you know, and, and try to play by the book and then, you know, try to fight the book. Um, and then ending up in solitary confinement while I was incarcerated uh, was, 
you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, your question was like, why did I end up in solitary confinement? Or It sounds like you were there for six months, which does that mean you're actually alone for six months? Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. It's so yeah, you're, you're alone in a room, um, and, uh, nine by six L and you have a couple of showers a week. Um, you're reading a lot of books. You're, 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 you're trying to come up with, uh, things to do during that time that's going to keep you sane and occupied, you know, and, and what, what, I did was, you know, I would wake up in the morning, I would, I would exercise, I would take like a, a bird bath because, you know, you only get a shower, a couple showers a week. And bird baths mean like you take the sink in your cell, you, you have a washcloth and a little bit of soap and stuff like that. And then um, I would do that. I would write. Um, I, I wrote out like, you know, basically a short mini plan. I, would, I guess a fake business plan about combat and what I wanted to do when I was in that cell and um, and then read. And I guess I, at my med there was no real meditation that uh, I, people meditated before in, in 2013, 20, when, when I was in solitary confinement in 2012. But there was it was not this mainstream meditation breathing thing that you that, you know, you, you download an app now and you get it wherever. Um, you know, back then with my meditation, I didn't even think about it, was actually exercising, you know, and and, and that helped me uh feel like I was I was free, you know, for that moment, you know, that I was um moving my body and, and retaking care of myself. And you lost seventy pounds in six months. And I, yes, I I lost uh seventy one pounds in six months. That's incredible. And so when you're released, you go out into the world and try to start Conbody. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you faced at the very beginning? And I'm asking this for people who haven't necessarily seen the film, because um, there's there's a lot there's a lot of detail. But if you can just sort of give the big picture of what the obstacles were that you had to overcome. Um, you know, it, for any startup, it's very difficult to raise money and and get capital to launch anything. And and so I think that that's what the the film is portraying that it's it's harder for a regular startup anywhere from any where you're coming from but you know for somebody that has a background and has you know multiple you know ex-offenders you know labels on their back um and and you know being dominican in the lower east side and you know growing up there it, it's just it's a lot it's a lot that's stacked uh against me um through that journey that that Deborah's captured. Um one of the biggest things that's not really captured in the film is that, you know, when I came home, it was it was embarrassing, you know. Um I went from making multi million dollars and selling drugs and wearing the nicest clothes and all this stuff and then coming out to the same neighborhood, you know, talking to the same people and um basically telling me you're you're not selling drugs anymore you're 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 selling fitness um and so it was uh yeah it was <laughs> it, it was it was embarrassing to you know humble myself but i was motivated to you know just keep moving and make it happen so you have a zero percent recidivism rate of the people who you worked with I don't know what the general recidivism rate is, but I know it's a lot higher than zero. 
Oh, the national recidivism rate is 76% and New York is 53. Um, you know, so 75% of the people, you know, get reincarcerated. Um, and, and there were individuals that, uh, and you'll see it in the film, um, where there was one individual that got into some trouble with the law. Um, and I don't want to spill the whole story, but, uh, there, so we have zero convictions, you know, so there's, there's people that ran into like parole issues and, you know, and things that of that nature that could have got them violated. But we as a team advocated uh, to parole and, and said, this this is stupid technicality. You're, you're going to take somebody's freedom away for a couple of years, you know, for crossing county lines to come to work, you know, right. Um Things of that nature, and and so yes, people were, uh, uh, you know, detained but not convicted because we were able to convince the the power to be, you know, to let these individuals, you know, go. Or and I think the biggest thing that uh, was that you know that factor that we we are a family. Uh, I am like that 911 call or somebody in the team is that 911 call. And it's like, if you feel like you're going to do anything stupid or you feel like you're going to cross that line, you know, where you're going to, you know, bring that recidivism rate up and, and commit another crime, please call us. You know, if it's a money issue, if it's a housing issue, like call us, like we're here to figure it out. Even if I don't have the money, like, you're going to sleep on my couch and you're not going to go out and sleep in the street, you know? And, and I think that's the biggest factor of, you know, reducing that recidivism and having that zero percent there. And as you became steeped in this work, you had more numbers you could call, you know, it's not like they could always solve it, but you had a few more numbers yep. of allies that you could call and try to make other connections. And I just want to mention that um, simultaneous, of course, for non-justice involved people, Combody and costs were educating a lot of people that had no idea what why these rates are so high that that recidivism was always equated in non-justice involved people's minds right is is the committing of new crimes right. and you know several hundred people involved in con in combody over you know in this period of time got a full education about what the difference is you know that someone could be put back inside for a technical violation, not, not the rec not committing a new crime. So that was, I mean, I'm just saying that that's a form of um, education that only comes from assembling people around a very public, like making your re-entry process quite public. I, I got a ticket for running a stop sign right before COVID and then missed numerous court dates because of COVID. And it's very easy to, mess up in that way like it's not it's not like you went out and started a multi-million dollar scheme it's just it's very easy to mess up within the criminal justice system and i'm a generally you know whatever law-abiding person um how did you two first connect uh deborah says the five ventures um but i i say uh it was it was matt wolf that uh I bumped into on the train um, after meeting him before. And I, I I was coming out of like, I think it was the 60 something street stop on a B train after a defy like right, programming. The defy was... day. So, 
yeah, it was yeah. basically, yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I met him. I reconnected with him on the train, and I remember giving him my number. And then he contacted me and was like, "Hey, I want you to meet somebody." Uh, and this was basically, I was probably out of prison for like ten months or so. Uh, and then he introduced me to Deb. I had no idea who Deb was. It was Deb was like, "Can I follow you with a camera?" And I said, "Yeah." It was <laughs> it was easier for me to. Uh, stop because i was randomly stopping people on the street trying to pitch people about combating trying to get them to work out and um and 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 when people saw me with a camera behind my back they were like oh you're being filmed what is this about you know so i'm like hey you got to come to the workout you know so it was easier for me to like engage people in the in the streets <laughs> so they almost oh, oh, oh just just so you know um defy was a reentry program that Koss had gotten himself involved with that at the time was presenting a very, very different set of approaches to um, people who had aspirations to um, exploit their entrepreneurial instincts and, and experience and savviness, possibly the same savviness that got them uh, jammed up because, you know, her idea was the leader of this reentry program, can you transform your hustle? You were good at what you did. Can you do it now legally? And Koss is like, hell, let me, let me, you know, hell yeah, I, I, th I think so. And want to try, want to do it. And and so they had a lot of um, public facing events. And this particular one where I met Koss was, he was presenting, um, I think almost to encourage other people to join the program. They had had this one of these public events and he said he he actually you, you spoke to your dad at the back of the room at that event you know you called out your father and said something um about reconciliation and making amends or something you know just wanting to talk to your dad about reconnecting with him after a long a long process with and you know causes um willingness to be frank about things he was thinking about and feeling felt very, very magnetic. Like I was like, I would like to approach this person. I would like to solicit them. I kind of want to hustle them and see if I could see if we could forge some kind of collaboration. And, and he was. Yeah. Say you're a warm person cause. Yeah. The, the five, the five ventures believes that illegal entrepreneurs could become legal entrepreneurs. So they, they they say that all we're missing is the technical skills and they teach you all types of they basically teach you how to pay taxes. <laughs> and at, at its best, sometimes there's like uh connections with social capital, right? Like Yeah. 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 No, it was, a, it was an awesome program. It's awesome program. I mean, this turns into like a nineties, you know, stereotypical like high school movie, but or like a Jay-Z song or something, but there is something to like drug dealing is running a small business. You are managing people. You are figuring out, you know, how to deal with competition. You're dealing with how to maintain a customer base. I'm not trying to do any kind of false equivalency or dumb things down too much, but like there are skills involved. It isn't just, you know, drugs sell themselves as people sometimes say. And again, yeah. well, um, I'm, I'm excited for you to see the earlier parts because this very same, um, Reentry director that program director that we're talking about, you will hear her do right. Cost you and I would both admit many people admit. Cat Hope does a very very good, yeah, bring the house down with um, portraying with with a kind of comic flair the parallels that you're talking about. You know she does a very good 
three sentence visual funny equivalency, right? Where she, that she's been very persuasive and she's proven that time and again, that people can really understand it that way. That like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to ask about the branding. Um, so much of fitness, I mean, you're kind of doing a lot of the same exercises in all fitness. Um, we all have the same body, but the branding is so important. I mean, there used to be a place in LA that I guess is probably still there called Training Mate that was all about like an Australian theme. Um, some people have like a bike theme. Some people have, how did you, did you feel like Con Body was a great brand aside from the situation you were in? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know. I just wanted, I wanted people to know what they were going to get into, you know, yes, it, it, uh, there's a lot of exercises that we do that are done in different, you know, fitness classes like jumping jacks and burpees and things like that nature. But our, our, our technique and our workout is not just like a, a, a regular hit workout. And, and I'm actually teaching class over there on monday next monday at 8 a.m so if you want to uh <laughs> you know try it uh you'll you'll see um how, how different it is um but yeah no it's it's uh 45 minutes like non-stop you know prison i call it a prison style workout because what we did in prison was basically like you know superset and and by supersetting it mean i mean like we're just going back to back with no real breaks you know and this and is doing it together with partnerships and stuff like that and so uh the the branding came about at first i called it uh cost athletics um we that's i i wanted to call it like prison style workout you know confit or something and i thought about i, I searched confit and and the brand Confi uh, is taken, um, and that URL was like nine grand for that shit. And I was like, I'm not paying for this. Um, and and then I was just messing around with words. And and the biggest reason why we transitioned from like cross athletics to Combody was because when I was telling people like this is a prison style boot camp, some people were frightened um, about the theme, you know. And and I had people thinking it was just a regular boot camp, and I would share my story and. And I had people walk out in the middle of a class because a few classes because they were like, wow, I don't want to I don't want to be associated with anybody that's has a criminal record or they felt weird. They felt awkward. And 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 for me, it was just like I want to brand it combody because I want people to know what they're going to get into. You know, uh, and if you don't like me, then don't come. If you like us, you know, help us. And that was it. I hope you. Um, can I say two more things that I know were important to you just from mm -hmm. being on the sidelines? One, um, you appreciated the brand would allow you to not have to ever engage in thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of heavy duty infrastructure equipment. You know, you mm -hmm. didn't need to buy uh, leather bound punching bags. You didn't need to buy tons of gear, right? And the other mm -hmm. thing, the other thing was that, like you said, the accountability of having partners. Do you guys have to? You guys have to actually vacate. Uh, well, no, sorry, my my wife just gave birth to him, and um, oh, oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, Koss is in the uh, a maternity ward right now. Oh my god! Congratulations! <laughs> oh my god! Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. First kid. Second. Yeah. Uh, third. Oh. 
Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I'm not. <laughs> oh. oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Second word, but yeah, with my wife, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, his uh, teenage uh, son is is well featured in the film. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, his, his son grows up during the eight years of the film. Yeah. And okay. yeah. Um, but cost you need to, do you need to do you need to leave the room? No, no, I'm I'm good. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so just sorry, two other things that you felt were going to work for you with the branding that you 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 stressed to us was that it, you could do this with low capital. You know, you didn't need if an investor was going to invest, it was to get for the right reasons. It wasn't because you needed bells and whistles and you know fancy stuff. You didn't need this to be fancy, and that it, it could be affordable. And that people could do it in humble spaces, right? Like you like the idea that you knew how to work with what you had. Small constrained space, all body weight, no equipment. I did this in a nine by six prison cell. You could do it anywhere, you know. Yeah. And so that was, was like, that was the theme. Um, the time of um, of ritzy, ritzy, ritzy uh, boutique gyms cropping up costs. I felt you always wanted to make something for the people, you know, just like for yeah. every you know that, that was accessible versus hoitsy and toitsy and. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to go too deep in it. Yeah. <laughs> there is the like cliche that people just get ripped in prison. And I never understood exactly why. Um, is it just the time? Or is it is there more to it? I, I think it's uh, a variety of things. Uh, time is being like, probably number one. Um, and then like when, you know, in female prisons and male prisons are different, you know, there's uh, a lot of obesity issues in female prisons. Um, but in male prisons, I feel like that, that masculinity, that macho, uh, like people want to work out, you know, they want to feel like they don't want to be, you know, taken advantage of, um, you know, and so it's like, I, right, I'm going to work out, I'm going to get big. Um, you know, if I'm big, nobody's going to mess with me type of deal. Um, yeah. And then there's also like camaraderie uh, while you're in there, you know, that this, you, you build, you know, I've seen a whole bunch of groups and, uh, and friends that I've met, you know, throughout the time that I was incarcerated that we just felt like this is our time to meditate and to work out together and not feel like we're incarcerated, you know, and and we we push each other to new new heights, new levels, you know. Yeah. Um, not to mention uh, also endorphins, of course. Endorphins feel feel really really good, and they were making yeah. their own. They were making them really heavy duty. You know, if you do a thousand cherry pickers, you you have some endorphin. You know, I mean, like right, like you you were keeping your brains basically also feeling the best they could feel in confinement at times. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know this. I'm just saying I'm picking up on things that were said over the years, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, when you got picked up by like Saks Fifth Avenue, Saks Fifth Avenue at one point was hosting one of the gyms. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the fourth episode where some of your employees are saying it's kind of frustrating that a lot of the clientele are like white women with a lot of disposable income. Um, and that it's like sort of a, that the, the fan base is kind of like a hoity-toity fan base. Why do you think that was, and did it bother you? Uh, I think the it, no, it didn't bother me. Um, I think it was a win-win situation. You know, I think it was a way to get uh, individuals that never met anybody that's been incarcerated feel some type of empathy towards you know the criminal justice space, and and they had no 
no knowledge towards it, you know, and some did, you know, I've, I've had individuals and young white females that have like, you know, dark paths that their parents have been incarcerated or their brothers have been incarcerated or, you know, and, and they've never spoken about this and they yeah. felt comfortable coming to us and saying like, Hey, you know, uh, I've never said this to anyone except probably my therapist, but, you know, uh, had a family member that's been incarcerated and and I believe in second chances and I'm and I'm trying to help them or or they're seeking for help and resources and I'm trying to help them, you know. So I, I saw it as a win-win situation. I didn't see it as frustration and those people, some people that most people that could afford it, you know, um, especially in the boutique fitness space. How successful has it gotten? How how big is this thing? I mean, it, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, you know, I, I think pre-pandemic, we we saw a trajectory where we saw ourselves opening up in London. We had uh, another pop up in Midtown, and um, we had our Lloyd side like headquarters, and and that was my plan to keep you know growing from studio to studio and 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 franchising eventually. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and then video on demand and zoom and all this stuff you know it, that side of the business blew up while i had to close those other locations um and and still keeping the headquarters in les you know and and then coming out of the pandemic you know there was there was uh it was sort of smooth for us and and gave us more of an opportunity to do both you know we were training plus live streaming at the same time um, and, and that side of the business grew. And then I think the, the largest part of the business for us was like doing private, private classes, you know, and, and going around and, you know, sending trainers to different facilities, even correctional facilities, um, youth facilities, uh, private corporate companies that booked us once a week, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, throughout the film i was struggling to raise money and get capital and then pandemic hit was the first time that i raised any type of capital you know um everything else was more of like competition and family and friends and like you know uh kickstarter stuff that i did in the past but um during the pandemic was it took seven years to get that first capital investment and it was not even that significant you know I, I, we raised it was like a half a million dollars, you know, compared to a lot of these other studios are, you know, uh, at the time, I mean, Deborah saw that these studios were raising $2 million per studio and, and just burning and crashing and, and the business was going out of business within six months. And, and it was frustrating that I, I was like, Hey, I have a proof of concept. I did I bootstrap the fuck out of this and I've still got this alive and I can't get money, you know? Um, and it's the it was perfect for the pandemic. I mean, because I can remember trying to order weights and like getting weights <laughs> delivered is kind of expensive. Like it's and it would take months for them to show up. And I had I was working out with bands and you know, <laughs> people who were like lifting soup cans and stuff like that because there was just nothing. Nobody anticipated. Oh, the gym's going to close for a year. So yeah. we had a perfect system. Well, yeah, it was a it was a blessing in disguise. Really, <laughs> so, I remember we, you had people from all over the world. Like on one of your calls, you had 120 people on your on your Zoom 
virtual. Yeah, one one Zoom, I had like nine hundred people. Yeah, yeah, it was wild, and I, I loved it. You you were like, "Hello, Tokyo. Hello, London." You know. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And, and then that, that's how right coming out of like now that's how the business is not booming, but uh, we're we're doing more in person, and we actually uh, our business grew probably. I would say like 300% since coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. This is kind of a philosophical question for both of you, but you know, the country is super divided and people have this idea of what other people are like without ever meeting anybody who fits into the demographic that they're stereotyping. And I mean, people on both sides do that. Um, you know, people have their opinion about voters in Iowa and they have their opinion about ex-convicts and everything else. And this seems like one of the rare things where everybody can get together on like a basic human level and just meet and talk and meet somebody who they wouldn't otherwise meet. Um, do you see Conbody accomplishing that? Have you seen it change people's hearts and change people's minds? Absolutely. I, I think, and that was the, the the biggest thing that I was trying to build um, when I was doing like my market research and really trying to open up the studio. I was going to SoulCycle, Barry's and all these fancy fitness studios and I felt like everybody was way more important than me. You know, I would go to the locker room and people were putting, you know, dry shampoo on and, um, and you know, and uh, having these like fancy flipped hair type of, sh you know, it was like, it, I didn't want to be part of that bougie, bougie crowd. And so I wanted uh, a real like no judgment zone, you know, uh, space. And a lot of bullshit gyms say, yeah, there's a no judgment zone. But like it was really authentic because, you know, we had the poorest of the poor in the class. And you would never know, you know, that we're giving this person like a, basically a five finger discount and then having like a rich person next to them, you know, be their partner. And, and they're doing like burpees together, you know, and, and, and it was just like, nobody's judging because not, it was no color judge. It was no capitalism judge. It was just like, this is who we are. This is, you know, what we do. And, and people accepted us you know, for what we did. Um, I'll add the costs, you know, had spoken early on about like, you didn't, you know, a different phrase, but the magic happens in the room. You know, the fact that, the encounter is actually physical. It's actually sweaty. Cost goes to great lengths to say, to, to communicate from his heart that like he feels that clients that show up every week for months at a time are family. You know, you use that word a lot. You know, you say, you know, appreciate the family, appreciate you all. You know, you, 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 um, you talked about a certain kind of contact, you know, like at the end of every class, there's usually some kind of high fives as people leave the gate. You know, there's something that happens where you see, you, you know, trainers um affectionately you know encourage members of the class by name at times you know not not like a boot camp calling out in some negative way but it's mostly uh that people that show up end up feeling very seen and so to your point about people thinking preconceived notions about someone else that they think like oh i could never go there i could never talk about this i the i could never gets broken down really fast yeah. when you invite people into the same room. Yeah. I also love, we started off talking about how this is the bad, how capitalism is kind of the bad guy, but in some ways capitalism is doing good here 
um, you're seeing like the good version of capitalism that you hope it'll be where people can really attain the American dream, whatever that means now, um, as opposed to just like one small group of people taking all the money and running away. So it's just cool to see it work as it's supposed to and, work. And, and, and that was the frustrating part, you know, through, uh, still through the journey, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, like people like me can't get real capital, you know, and it takes us, you know, 10 times as long as anybody else. But, um, but, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, for me, it was just like the tenacity and just, just keep running into a brick wall until it breaks, you know, type of mentality. Yeah. And I, I'd love to make an adjustment to the beginning because costs hit it so much harder and better and more precisely. So like capitalism so broad, I was really speaking about like, what happens if you if you are living in a disinvested neighborhood, you know, and you don't have access to all that we think um, at least is the is the is the is the groundwork for a decent American life, right? You know, if if, if those things, but costs hit it so much more, right? Because he was he was talking about so okay, we accept that there's all these different classes, you know, class levels and whatnot, and 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 huge financial inequality equality but what he's talking about is this extra thing which was that as he as he so well said you know the over policing the sort of plucking out of the system even even more um harmfully so that once that person's in the juvenile system or and and been pulled out at any opportunity going forward you know that's that's i think yeah he gave a more funneled down precise concept of who we might look at as not who but what what and who we might look at as the forces of being yeah know, i say i say that the system is the, bully, the system is the bully yeah. um and 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 what the system was created for a purpose um and it's it's fitting that purpose now for injustice and it's always been created for injustices um and i think that's the real you know enemy there um and and now we have you know, with Ombody, we have the, the, you know, creating our own thing, whether, you know, fitness or whatever you're going to do, like we, we have the power to, you know, create our own system within, you know, to, to fix the, the big beast, you know.